just when you thought there was no hope for baby boomers. It's the Rational Boomer Podcast. Logic, common sense, compassion. Yeah, who knew? Now, here's Mike. We are back on the Rational Boomer Podcast. Hopefully your day is going well. It is Wednesday. And as you're listening to this, I am either en route or in Las Vegas. Now, you're probably saying to yourself, Mike, why the fuck are you going to Las Vegas? Well, it was kind of an impromptu thing. My brother called me. He's meeting his son down in Vegas. His son used to live in Vegas. He now lives in Chicago. But the point of going down there, apparently, is to go watch the Minnesota Timberwolves play the Lakers in the new Las Vegas arena. I don't even know what the arena's called. And I'm not that big a basketball fan, but it was kind of a nice getaway, a quick one, Wednesday to Friday. We're not going to be gone long. And I felt like I kind of had to. Now, last year, I went to San Diego with my brother and my nephew. Now, no matter where my nephew goes, he knows a lot of people, whether they be girls or guys or whatever. He always knows somebody. We went to San Diego, and uh, we all stayed in a suite for one day, and then he was gone. We didn't see him the rest of the trip. It was just my brother and I. So I'm thinking, we're going to Vegas. He used to live in Vegas. We know he knows a lot of people there. And what's going to happen is my brother's going to get down there with his son. His son's going to blow town, and he's going to be all alone, my brother. So I said, fuck it. I'll take a couple days. We'll go down to Vegas. I'm not a huge Vegas fan. I like Vegas. I like going down there. I'm not a crazy gambler. I'm a pretty conservative gambler. I may not even gamble when I'm down there. Just see the sights, walk around, spend some hours, see the basketball game, and then head the fuck back home. So... The good news is I will have a computer and a microphone with me, so I will be able to have a podcast for you tomorrow morning. I got my own hotel room, so I'll have quiet and calm, and I'll be able to do the podcast tomorrow and the next day from Vegas. So we're good there. Let's get down to the business at hand. We'll start off with an email. This one comes from Gordy. He's written before. Good morning, Boomer. With the sad news about the devastation in Florida, I'm hearing and people are saying, haha, that the governor de Schittstein, known as Little Hitler, isn't being honest about the number of people dead or missing. Sounds a lot like his COVID numbers lying again. His state was one of the worst in terms of death during COVID, and that's true, and they seem to be short on the numbers of death or missing. Why do they continue to downplay or lie about it? I'm also seeing he and his wife have started a sham organization to make money off of those willing to send money to them so they can, quote-unquote, help those in need. Do you feel like he's taking a playbook out of Fat Nixon's to Griff so he can steal the money and use it for his own shit like flying uh, uh, undocumented uh, migrants all around the USA? What's your thoughts on both of these questions? Numbers and money. I love and listen to your podcast every day. Hell, sometimes two times a day, depending on how many you drop. I loved every fucking one of them. Well, fucking A, Gordy. Thank you very much. As to the answers of your question, do I think he's downplaying the numbers of people that are dead? Well, I don't know for sure, but it sure seems like it. We're over 100 now. We're in the triple digits of dead 
that they found or claim to have found, but there's over 10,000 people missing. And then we hear these reports supposedly from sheriff's departments where they're finding dozens of bodies in various parts of Florida. I don't know if that's true. It seems kind of crazy, though, that you have a hurricane the size of Ian, and it rips through the middle of your state, and you have 100, 120 people dead. There's a lot of elderly people there, and they are not going to do well in these conditions. The fact of the matter is the way it is now, you know, there's problems with water and power and all these sorts of things. So there could be deaths even occurring as we speak. It's a tragic situation. And uh, do I think he's downplaying them? Yeah. And your question is why? Well, the same reason why Donald Trump downplayed COVID. He thinks it's going to have an impact on his election in November, just a month away. If it looks like things are going to shit in Florida, he's not going to look good and he's going to lose votes when it comes to the midterms. If he's doing that, that is why he's doing it. That is exactly why Donald Trump did what he did with COVID. The crazy thing about it is when Donald Trump did what he did by downplaying COVID, he thought he was helping himself in the election. But if anything took him down in the election, it was his COVID problem. The fact that he downplayed it and didn't do anything about it probably cost him the election. So if... Ron DeSantis is taking a page out of Donald Trump's playbook. He's not looking very closely because that page out of the playbook of uh, Donnie Trump didn't work. It didn't work. And I don't think it's going to work for Ron DeSantis either. You know, as much as he might try to pull the wool over the eyes of the rest of the country, the people who aren't there, the people who are actually going to vote for him are the ones that are dealing with the circumstances now. They're the ones that lost friends and family members. Those are the ones going without food, water, and electricity. You can hoodwink us, but the people living in that shit, they know what's going on. And they know what Ron DeSantis is or isn't doing. And that will cost him in the election. So, Gordy, thank you very much for that. Uh, The last question, you talked about the money. Yeah, that's an unusual situation. There's all kinds of organizations collecting money to help the people in Florida. But Ron DeSantis pops up and says, listen, man, don't send it to those people. My wife and I are put together a fund and we'll help the people. Well, if you know Ron DeSantis, if you know Donald Trump, you know exactly what's going to happen. They are, in fact, going to grift the money, if not all of it, a significant portion of it. It won't go to where it's supposed to go. Ron is going to pocket money. It's kind of unprecedented that a governor would do something like this, so you have to wonder, why is Ron doing it? Yeah, I would be concerned about that. I would be troubled about that. I would not send Ron DeSantis any motherfucking money by any means. You know he's going to pocket the money. Ron DeSantis is a corrupt, criminal motherfucker. And if you think twice about sending money to him, you're a fool. You're an absolute fool. There are people struggling in in, in desperate situations. They need the help now. You don't need to run it through a grifter to get to them because it may never, ever, ever get to them. All right. Well, Donald Trump didn't surprise us today. (laughs) 
He thinks he's so slick. I mean, he thinks he thinks he's got it all figured out. But you know what? Every time he does something, he fucks it up for himself. We know about the situation with him stealing the top secret documents. We know that uh, he took it to a judge that he bought and paid for. He insisted on a special master, which he got. He insisted on a special person for that special master's job, and he got that. But guess what? He's still not getting the answers he wants. He's still not getting the delays he wants. So now he's complaining about those people that he put in place, and he's taken it to the next level. The last level, if you will, the Supreme Court. (laughs) It's almost funny to see him do this. Donald Trump asked the Supreme Court on Tuesday to block prosecutors from proceeding with their review of classified documents seized from his Mar-a-Lago Social Club this summer. Let's be honest, they've already gone through all of it. They've already gone through all of it. The former president who attempted a coup to remain in power after losing re-election is appealing a unanimous three-judge decision from a federal appeals court in Atlanta, which last month overturned a ruling from the U.S. District Judge Aileen Cannon, a Trump appointee whom he had specifically sought to preside over this case. Like I said, bought and paid for Now, the U.S. Court of Appeals of the 11th Circuit ruled that Cannon erred when she stopped the Department of Justice from continuing its analysis of 103 documents, which were among the 11,000 taken from the White House at the end of the Trump presidency. Now, in a 276-page filing with the Supreme Court, Trump's new lawyer, Christopher Keis, challenged the circuit court's ruling. The government has attempted to criminalize a document management dispute and now vehemently objects to a transparent process that provides much-needed oversight, Keis argued. I love what they say. This is a document storage problem. No, it's not. These documents are illegal for Donald Trump to have. These documents were not owned by Donald Trump under any circumstances. They're trying to divert, distract, and delay. And it's not working too well. His primary argument, Keis's argument, is the 11th Circuit lacks the jurisdiction to overrule the particulars of Cannon's order approving a special master and telling the DOJ to halt its criminal investigation until that review is finished. But Keis couched it in terms that suggest the DOJ is acting out of malice or politics. You stole a bunch of top-secret documents, but we're only mad at you because it's all about politics. We're so afraid that Donald Trump will run in 2024. I've told you this before. I hope he fucking runs because he will get destroyed. The unprecedented circumstances presented by the case, an investigation of the 45th president of the United States by the administration of its political rival and successor, compelled the district court to acknowledge the significant need for enhanced vigilance and to order the appointment of a special master to ensure the fairness, transparency, and maintenance of the public trust. That's what Keis wrote. Here's what's interesting. They're bitching about the 11th Circuit. There were three judges that made this decision. And guess what? Two of them, two of them were appointed by Donald Trump. 
Now, in a lengthy footnote, Keis added that the federal government is treating Trump dramatically different than previous presidents. Yeah, because nobody else, no other president stole fucking top secret documents with whom the National Archives made agreements for document storage and cataloging. The government feigned concern about a purported classified records to justify commencement of a criminal investigation, not even contemplated under the Presidential Records Act, and then raided President Trump's personal residence, a secure compound protected by U.S. Secret Service agents and used during the Trump presidency to conduct the official business of the United States. Yeah, but he's no longer president. Now, if he had been president and he had these things, he might have been just a minuscule amount of wiggle room, but not much. It's still illegal, even if he was a sitting president. Keis, however, does not mention that Trump was the only president who has removed documents marked at the highest levels of classifications, which, if disclosed, could compromise the lives of intelligence assets in other countries, as Trump is accused of doing in the DOJ filing. Now, it is unclear when and how the high court might act, although Justice Clarence Thomas on Tuesday evening set a 5 p.m. October 11th deadline for the Department of Justice to file its response. Now, here's the interesting thing. Clarence Thomas is the one that oversees the 11th district, which is weird because there's only nine justices. That tells you that we need 14 justices because there's 14 circuits. But we'll get to that after the midterms. Trump, despite losing the election by 7 million votes nationally and 306 to 232 in the Electoral College, became the first president in more than two centuries of elections to refuse to hand over power. His incitement of the January 6th assault on the Capitol, his last-ditch attempt to remain in office, led to the deaths of five people, including one police officer, and the injury of 140 officers and four police suicides. Nevertheless, Trump remains the dominant figure in the Republican Party. All this mess that's around him, he's still essentially the leader. And that's on the Republicans. You have the audacity to continue to follow this corrupt criminal piece of shit? Well, then we can only believe that the Republican Party as a whole is corrupt and criminal. He's also, of course, talking about running for president again in 2024. That's not going to happen. He's not going to be allowed. The Republicans won't want him. He's not running in 2024. I guarantee you that. Now, in statements on his personal social media platform, Trump has continued to lie about the election and the January 6th House Select Committee's work, calling it a hoax. They're all hoaxes, aren't they? Similar to the previous investigations into his 2016 campaign's acceptance of Russian assistance and his attempted extortion of Ukraine into helping his 2020 campaign. Now, he kept calling all of those a hoax. Turned out none of them were fucking hoaxes. Now, here's something you need to know about uh, this appeal to the Supreme Court. That stops nothing. The FBI will continue to investigate these things. They have every right to do it. And as far as we know, they've pretty much gone through all of it. It will go to the Supreme Court. And, of course, this is a perfect situation, a perfect illustration of the time when, when uh, Clarence Thomas should recuse himself. But he won't. 
He won't recuse himself. And that's where we have the problems with the Supreme Court. And, of course, they bitch about, we don't, you don't think we're credible. No, we don't, motherfuckers, because you're a partisan hacks and you are not credible. We don't even have a fucking Supreme Court anymore. How dare you refer to yourselves as supreme when you're as fucked up as you are? So the point is, it's going to be sent to the Supreme Court. My guess is that they won't even accept it. They're a little busy these days trying to ruin the country. So I don't know if they'll even take this on. But if they did, it's such a it's such a slam dunk for the DOJ. There's no way they can just give it to them in spite of how corrupt these people are. It's just it's just not going to happen. And And one of the things that you have to know about this, too, is this is uh, uh, potentially a problem for Donald Trump and Judge Cannon. When it gets to the Supreme Court, somebody called it a bench slap. Not sure what that means, but it sounds like the the judge, Aileen Cannon, might be in for some ridicule and some problems once it gets to the Supreme Court and they see what she did. Not to mention Donald doing this privilege frivolous appeal and all this shit. Leave it to Donald Trump to try to do something to win, to lose, and then make it worse for himself. I think that's probably what he's going to find when this happens. So if you're upset about it, worried about it, don't. Don't. It'll be fine. The FBI can continue doing the work they do. And theoretically, the FBI could indict him while they're waiting for the Supreme Court. So don't don't even worry about that. A detail from a new Washington Post report shows that Donald Trump was personally involved in returning only a portion of the government documents the National Archives repeatedly asked him to return. But here's the interesting thing. The former president asked one of his lawyers to tell the National Archives earlier this year that he had returned all the documents, which the attorney refused to do because he wasn't sure it was true, which was the smart thing to do. And the post-Jacqueline Alimeni told MSNBC's Morning Joe that Trump personally, he personally packed the 15 boxes they first got himself. Can you see Donald Trump on his knees going through the documents? Yeah, you get this one, one for you, two for me, one for you, two for me. Uh, That's what it sounds like he did. He packed the boxes. I don't know if anybody imagined that was going to be the case. So that suggests he was fully aware that additional materials remained at Mar-a-Lago. It's not like, whoops, I didn't know they were stuffed in my desk drawer. He knew. He specifically picked the ones he wanted to send back, and he specifically picked the ones he wanted to hold on to and keep. So if we're talking about intent, this is it. He knew exactly what the fuck he was doing. This is true that Trump himself eventually packed all of the boxes after very reluctantly agreeing to do so. He still wanted to fight it. He didn't want to give them the first 15 back. Now, remember, the National Archives and Trump's lawyers were going back and forth on this as early as May. This issue was flagged by lawyers in Trump's White House two weeks prior to Trump even leaving the White House and going down to Mar-a-Lago. But again, this does put the former president at the center of all this, that he himself was packing the boxes. He was very secretive about the process, 
We're also told, despite having staffers who lived in Palm Beach and worked very closely with him on the premises, but again, attorney Alex Cannon had also recommended that staffers try to stay out of this, and he did ultimately arrange for one staffer to be there when the National Archives contractor eventually picked up the boxes in late January. But Trump is really the one who knew exactly what was in those boxes. And that shouldn't be a surprise. You know, when we're thinking about um, Donald Trump and the Trump Organization with all that's going on up in New York and the uh, criminal court case against the Trump Organization, here's what you need to know. Donald Trump is a micromanager. Donald Trump wants his hands on everything. He doesn't trust anybody to do what he wants. I mean, he's so often lying that he almost has to do it himself. When they go after the Trump organization in the criminal trial up in the Manhattan district, Donald Trump is going to get nailed because the Trump organization is Donald Trump. And in this situation, since we know he packed the boxes, he knew what was in the boxes, he knew what wasn't in the boxes, he's got a world of fucking trouble. Because we have the intent and we have the action of him actually trying to hide these things and lying to the FBI and say, nope, you got them all. But his lawyers are in trouble now. There's uh, Christina Bob and a guy named Corcoran. I talked about him yesterday. Corcoran wrote a document. Christina Bob signed the document, an affidavit, swearing to the fact that all of the top secret documents were were gone after they picked up the first 15 boxes. Then, of course, we find out after the search there was more. Now, this puts Christina Bob in a bad situation, lying to the FBI as a <clears throat> as an officer of the court. That doesn't bode well for her. That could cost her her license and maybe even some jail time. Unless she says, well, Donald Trump lied to me. Well, of course she's going to say that. That's probably what happened. And the funny thing about Christina Bob, as I mentioned yesterday, turns out she got her own lawyer now because she realizes she's in trouble, and now she's going to throw Donald Trump under the bus. So any question about what Donald Trump knew or didn't know about these documents is going to be exposed with the testimony of Christina Bob. She's a younger woman. She's got a future. She's certainly not going to piss it away for Donald Trump, for Christ's sake. She knows what she's dealing with. She knows what kind of human he is. She knows that he would throw her under the bus in the minute. So she's got to do what she can do to survive. And you can bet she will. This is going to be very interesting. Very interesting. And uh, we're going to be watching it closely. He is going to be in a world of hurt. He can try to delay this thing. He can take it to the Supreme Court, but nothing, nothing is going to work. All right, NFL legend turned GOP candidate. Now, let me just say something about this. Herschel Walker. This is what this story is about. Okay, he might be a college legend. I don't really think he's an NFL legend. He played with the Vikings for a number of years. It's a well-remembered period because our general manager 
sold out the team to get Herschel Walker. They felt like the one piece we needed was a running back, and he was the hot running back, younger running back. He had gone to the USFL, and then he went to the Dallas Cowboys. They traded with the Dallas Cowboys, and they gave up the fucking world. They got Herschel Walker. And I'll be honest with you, when Herschel Walker got here, he was okay. He was fast, but he was no legend. There are far better running backs here at the, at, uh, in Minnesota than, uh, than this fucking clown. Adrian Peter, Peterson was twice the uh, <coughs> running back as Herschel Walker. Yeah, yeah, of course, Adrian Peterson's kind of a piece of shit now, too. But that said, he's not a legend of the NFL. That's just my opinion. If you disagree with me, don't care. It's not important. Anyway, Herschel Walker claims to be a staunch pro-life conservative who wants to ban abortion in his state. But according to a report from the Daily Beast that broke uh, Monday, he allegedly made at least one exception for a woman he impregnated back in 2009. An unidentified woman claims Walker urged her to get an abortion after she followed through with the procedure. Walker reimbursed her for it. Nice. Way to go, Hirsch. The story has ignited Walker's opponents who accused him of hypocrisy. But there's one notable person coming to his defense, and that, of course, Donald Trump. Donald Trump has endorsed him. Mitch McConnell has endorsed him. Now, in a statement this Tuesday, Trump said, Walker is being slandered and maligned by the fake news media and obviously the Democrats. Trump went on to say he's heard many interesting things about Walker's opponent, Raphael Warnock, things that nobody should be talking about, so we don't, like referring to accusations of domestic violence against Warnock. Herschel has properly denied the charges against him, and I have no doubt that he's correct. Trump continued, I have no doubt that he's correct. They are trying to destroy a man whose true greatness is in his future, just had, just as he had in his athletic greatness in the past. Well, let's be perfectly honest. Herschel Walker has to be the dumbest motherfucker to ever run for the U.S. Senate, at least as far as I know. Herschel Walker is a walking pathological liar. You know, he, he, he told us, well, I work for the FBI. We found out that wasn't true. But the Republicans said, yeah, but he's a good family man. He's a good conservative. Then we heard the story and we find out he's a little emotionally broken. He's a little crazy because at one point he held a gun to his wife or girlfriend's head because he was angry. And then the Republicans said, well, you know, that could happen. That could happen to anybody. It's, he's got a little baggage. What the hell? And now we find this out. He's a big proponent of anti-abortion rhetoric. But yet at one point in his life, he insisted on a woman getting an abortion. He paid for the abortion. He gave her a stipend after the fact, a little extra money to smooth things over, if you will. He even sent her a good will card or get well card after the abortion. Oh, that is just fucking sweet. What a nice man. What a good family man, right? <laughs> well, now, of course, what they're going to do is they're going to discredit this woman. And what I always find amazing is that the multitudes of lying women 
around Republican men. Donald Trump must have 30 lying women around him. Every time a Republican gets in trouble, which seems like every other day, oh, those women are lying. What are the odds that that many people are fucking lying? It's crazy. But then Herschel ran into trouble, ran into trouble because his own family now is coming after him. His son, Christian Walker, who is a TikTok influencer, not a big fan because I think he's full of shit, but he came out speaking against his father. He said, Herschel Walker has four kids from four different women, and he never spent any time with any of his kids because he was out banging other women. He was abusive physically and verbally, and he's a horrible human being. This is what his son says. So it's a little hard to deny what's going on here when your own family stands up against you. Now, I've had some people come to me and say, yeah, but it won't matter to the Trumplefox. They don't care if he had an abortion or he lied or he said he was in the FBI. They don't care about that. And you're right. And you're right. And as I've told you before, we're never going to convince that 25 or 30 percent that staunchly stand behind Donald Trump and Herschel Walker and some of these other crazy fucks. We'll never change their mind, but we don't need to. Those people can believe what they want for as long as they want to believe it. What we've got to be looking at is those independents that might go either way. We're also looking at those Republicans of a reasonable mind that just can't align themselves with people so horribly flawed like Herschel Walker and Donald Trump. If we can get a small percentage of them to either not vote or vote Democrat, the Democrats win. So when you hear people say, well, you won't convince everybody. No, we don't need to convince everybody. We just need to convince enough people. And with the things that are coming out about Donald Trump and Herschel Walker, it ain't going to be hard to do. Because Herschel Walker, Donald Trump, and some of these others are fucking absolutely despicable people. And even a Republican of a reasonable mind can't align himself or herself with somebody who's fucking despicable. And if they do, well, as much as they think they're not despicable, they are fucking despicable. If you support a racist, a sexual abuser, a liar, a criminal, a crook, You can count yourself as part of that group, because even if you don't do it, the fact that you support it it, make you just as guilty. Herschel Walker is going to get destroyed when it comes to uh, the Senate race in November. I know people talk about polls. It's a toss up and all this stuff, and a lot of these people won't care. But trust me. Herschel Walker doesn't have a prayer in the world to win this. He doesn't have a prayer in the world to win this. And thank God for that. Thank God for Georgia. I mean, even if he wasn't a Republican, just based on his stupidity, you don't want this fucker as a U.S. Senate senator. All right, we will take a quick break and we will be right back. Well, we haven't 
talked about Ghislaine Maxwell in a long time. We know she was convicted in jail and all that shit, but we haven't heard much, and we're all kind of waiting to maybe see a list of people that participated in some of the misdeeds that Ghislaine and Jeffrey Epstein participated in. We know that Jeffrey Epstein and Donald Trump were fairly close in spite of the fact that Donald Trump said, well, you know, I barely knew him, and when I found out what he did, I was having none of it. (laughs) No, you were having all of it, motherfucker. There's no question about it. Donald Trump blurted out a question about himself when Ghislaine Maxwell was arrested on sex trafficking charges. The former president asked aides during a July 2020 meeting in the Oval Office whether Jeffrey Epstein's girlfriend had named him among her powerful contacts who she might be hoping would protect her from prosecution. According to excerpts from the new book Confidence Man, The Making of Donald Trump and the Breaking of America, published by The Guardian. I would have loved to have seen that. There's Donald Trump. Ah, so did uh, did, uh, did 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 you mention me? <laughs> Trump asked campaign advisors, "You see that article in the New York Post today that mentioned me?" Trump asked, according to a New York Times reporter and author Maggie Haberman, he kept going to silence. She say anything about me? <laughs> There's a nervous motherfucker. I thought you didn't know Epstein or Ghislaine. You just wished her the best, right? Remember? Well, the best isn't working for her. And if any of it spills on you, it's not going to go well for you. Not like you don't have enough fucking problems. Epstein had been convicted in 2008 on Florida prostitution charges and arrested again in 2019 on sex trafficking charges, but he killed himself in prison a month later. Okay. He was arrested in 2008. 2008. He got a sweetheart deal. He was in and out. He didn't have to register as a sex offender. That was a scam. That was bullshit. Then he finally gets arrested for sex trafficking in 2019. (laughs) He's put in jail. And whoops, he commits suicide. Now, very few people believe he committed suicide because it's funny. He was supposed to be under complete watch, but the guards weren't there at the time. And somehow, somehow the cameras weren't working for that period of time. Yeah, something fishy's been going on there. Maxwell was convicted in New York in December of 2021 on five of six charges related to sex trafficking of minors. And she was sentenced in July to 20 years in prison. But another Epstein associate told the New York Post in a July 4th, 2020 report that she believed she was untouchable. (laughs) Surprise, motherfucker. She thought that she'd be protected by the intelligence community. She and Jeffrey helped with information, the Israeli intelligence services, and Les Wexler, who has given millions to Israel by Prince Andrew, President Clinton, and even by President Trump, who was well known to be an acquaintance of her and Epstein's. Yeah, you expected they would protect you. We get that a lot. These powerful people, you would presume, would protect you, but they don't. The moment you become invaluable to them or not valuable to them, you don't fucking matter. So that's why I'm wondering why Ghislaine doesn't come out with a list, and maybe she will. 
There's a lot of powerful people that could have helped her. But, you know, when you get busted for sex trafficking, it's hard <laughs> It's hard to go easy on somebody like that, even though they did that to Jeffrey Epstein in 2008. But that was exposed. They aren't going to get away with that a fucking get. <laughs> did, did, did she mention me? <laughs> you know, that's funny. When Ghislaine Maxwell was arrested, I didn't say that. I don't think you said that. I wasn't worried about her bringing up my name. And that's weird, given that he barely knew her, that he barely knew Jeffrey Epstein. Why would she mention your name if, if she doesn't know you? Yeah. Donald Trump was in the thick of it there. Donald Trump has a history of sexual abuse. And Donald Trump even has a history of being a co-defendant with Jeffrey Epstein in a lawsuit alleging that he raped, they both raped, a 13-year-old girl. Yeah, I think Donald Trump's got some things to worry about. But he's getting hit from so many sides, and that's been so quiet, I'm sure he's not even thinking about it now. But when she got arrested, oh, he was thinking about it. Now, former aides to Donald Trump during his time in the White House say he never strictly followed the rules for handling sensitive government documents. That came out in the Washington Post. So it's not like it was just these. He never handled documents properly, ever. Trump took transcripts of his calls with foreign leaders as well as photos and charts used in his intelligence briefings to his private residence with no explanation. He just grabbed them, walked away. Question is, how was he allowed to do that? Well, he's president. He can do whatever he wants. But still, he could be called out, but nobody did. He demanded that letters he exchanged with North Korean dictator Kim Jong-un be kept close at hand so he could show them off to visitors. Documents that would ordinarily be kept under lock and key and mingled with piles of newspaper articles in Trump's living quarters and in a dining room that he used as an informal office. Aides speaking to the Post say they don't know how classified materials ended up at Trump's Mar-a-Lago resort, but it's known that in the last days of his presidency, he included documents that should have been sent to the National Archives and Records Administration as he was packing his belongings. The rigor I had felt at the end of the meetings during the Obama administration where someone very carefully collected all the pieces of paper or stayed behind in the room and made sure there was nothing left. The rigor just did not exist at the end of the Trump period. A former official who regularly attended Situation Room meetings told the Post, I can't say what went wrong that resulted in some boxes ending up in Mar-a-Lago, said the former official. But you can see that as an extension of our four years of accommodating the president, nobody was surprised by that. They had seen what he typically did, and they're not surprised that these things ended up in Mar-a-Lago. See, that's the thing I I, I argue in my mind with, and, and maybe it's both. Is this guy just so stupid he wants it to show off to people, to show people how important he is? Or did he want some of these documents to buy leverage or money or whatever? I keep trying to decide which one it is, and I think that's my problem. It's not one or the other. It's both. You know, he's like a, uh, like a kid at show and tell. Uh, talking about talking to somebody about anything. Oh, by the way, did I show you my Kim Jong Un letters? 
I can see him doing that. He's that much of a fucking child. But at the same time, he is a grifter. So there's obviously some enrichment that he sees from these documents. And I wouldn't at all be surprised if he was involved in doing things that would make him money. This whole thing is not going to pan out very well for Donald Trump. He can delay and he can go to the Supreme Court. But when it's all said and done, he is going to get nailed for this. This is an egregious crime. This is a dangerous crime that puts our country at risk in terms of national security. You cannot let that go. Merrick Garland can't say, well, just don't do it again. They've got to set set an example here. Because if they let this go, it's going to happen again. And every time it happens, it's dangerous to this country. It puts this country and all of us at risk. This is about as serious a thing as you could possibly fucking imagine. You might want to try to gloss over some things or let them go on other things, but not this one. Not this one. Clearly, he has a history of mishandling documents. Clearly, he has a history of taking documents back to his residence. And we know for a fact he took top-secret documents to Mar-a-Lago. And then on top of it, he lied about having more. We know that he packed the 15 boxes that the National Archives took initially. He packed them himself. So we know he knows what was in those boxes and he knows what wasn't in those boxes. And he clearly had a reason for not sending some of these documents. He wanted them. In his mind to this day, he thinks they're his property. This man is so dumb and so immature, he can't realize that Just because you say it doesn't make it so. These top secret documents are owned by the U.S. government. They are the ones that should be the uh, custodians of said documents. Over and above that, just having some of these top secret documents in itself is illegal. Now, even if he was president, he couldn't have these outside a skiff or a secured area. So he's really got no argument. And he's absolutely a child when it comes to this sort of stuff. And every time he tries to do something, he fucks up. And sending it to the Supreme Court, mark my words, this is going to come back to bite him in the ass, and it's going to make everything worse. And I'm happy for that. I'd like to see it get worse for him because he's a piece of shit, and he needs to be held accountable for these things. Let's talk about the Supreme Court a little bit, but some positive things about the Supreme Court. Hey, how could there be any positive things about the Supreme Court? Well, I can give it to you in three words. Katanji Brown Jackson, one of the few bright spots in the current Supreme Court. She was just sworn in a few days ago, and in her second full day of hearings, the new justice sought to set the historical record straight by arguing in support of a race-conscious voting rights act. Justice Katanji Brown-Jackson gave a forceful performance in defense of the race-conscious history of the 14th Amendment and the Voting Rights Act on Tuesday, her second day hearing arguments on the Supreme, on the Supreme Court. Now, in the case, Merrill v. Milligan, Alabama, is asking the court to overturn decades of precedent allowing 
a limited consideration of race to enable racial minorities to obtain equal political representation in redistricting. Yeah, the hell with those people of color. They shouldn't have equal rights. That's a Republican attitude. Now, the state argues the equal protection clause of the Constitution's 14th Amendment is interpreted as race-neutral, and so any attempt to consider race in redistricting would violate the equal protection of white voters. The court should therefore adopt a race-blind test when considering whether a state should be required under the Voting Rights Act to draw districts in which most people are racial minorities, Alabama says. Arguments in favor of the constitutional colorblindness have been in vogue for decades among the conservative jurist as it works to decimate race-conscious laws and policies like affirmative action and the 1965's Voting Rights Act. So what could happen here, the Supreme Court could gut the Voting Rights Act bill because then it would favor Republicans and they could uh, repeal the affirmative action, which is a massive step backwards for this country, a massive step backwards. Now, the question is, will the Supreme Court do this? We know the conservatives have a 6-3 majority. Technically, depending on how the vote goes, they could easily do it, but will they? Well, I have to think they will. I mean, if they're willing to overturn Roe v. Wade, the uh, public be damned, why wouldn't they do it to this? This is all very troubling. The Republicans want us to go back to the 1950s when we should be looking to the the 2030s, looking to the future. I mean, these Republicans don't understand that their power is dwindling. They can continue to try to cheat and gerrymander and gut voting act, voting rights acts, but eventually it won't matter. There just won't be enough old white people to do anything. They will become a minority and uh, they will get run over. It's coming. Hopefully we don't have to wait 10 years for that to happen, but it's theoretically possible. But Jackson, who was nominated by President Joe Biden in February to replace the retiring Justice Stephen Breyer, told Alabama in the court that an original reading of the 1868 adoption of the 14th Amendment, which the Voting Rights Act is meant to operationalize, was anything but colorblind. Jackson stated that she did not believe race being taken into account necessarily creates an equal protections problem. Instead, she looked to the history and traditions of the Constitution and what the framers and the founders thought about. Now, let's be honest. Katanji Brown Jackson is probably the most qualified Supreme Court justice, certainly of anybody on that Supreme Court and maybe in history. These people could stand to learn some things from her. But will they? Not the conservatives, I guarantee you. When I drilled down to the level of analysis, it became clear to me that the framers themselves adopted the Equal Protection Clause, the 14th Amendment, the 15th Amendment, in a race-conscious way, Katanji Brown-Jackson said. The original intent of the 14th Amendment can be found in legislative history, 
and debates from the post-Civil War period of Reconstruction. Now, according to Jackson, the 14th Amendment was adopted during this time to ensure that people who had been discriminated against, the freedmen during the Reconstruction period, were actually brought equal to everyone else in society. I looked at the report that was submitted by the Joint Committee on Reconstruction, which drafted the 14th Amendment, and that report says the entire point of the amendment was to secure rights for freed former slaves, Jackson said. That seems pretty cut and dried, and Miss Jackson is a very intelligent and very powerful legal mind. Will that make a dent with the uh, conservatives? I mean, you got to remember, these people aren't nearly as bright as Katanji Brown Jackson, so it may not make a dent. They'll come up with some other bullshit answer to contradict her. It won't be of any value. It won't be legitimate. But again, they have a six to three majority. She quoted an 1866 speech by Republican Representative Thaddeus Stevens of Pennsylvania, indicating that the purpose of the 14th Amendment was to halt the ongoing deprivation of rights and equality from black men and women across the former Confederate states. Unless the Constitution should restrain them, those states will all, I fear, keep up this discrimination and crush to death the hated freedmen, Stevens had said when introducing the amendment. That's not a race-neutral or race-blind idea in terms of the remedy, Jackson argued. It absolutely contradicts what the conservative side is saying. The 14th Amendment arose from the failure of the Civil Rights Act of 1866 to protect the equal rights of the formerly enslaved, Jackson said. The force of the Constitution had to back that law for it to function properly. And so Congress passed the 14th Amendment to specifically protect the equal rights of black people. It was drafted to give a constitutional foundation for a piece of legislation that was designed to make people who had less opportunity and less rights equal to white citizens, Jackson said. Well, looky here, the rookie, two days on the job, and she's already schooling these motherfuckers. At every step of the way, a consciousness of race underpinned the adoption of the 14th Amendment. The same is true of the Voting Rights Act passed in the wake of the bloody 1965 march that Reverend Martin Luther King led from Selma to Montgomery. That law was designed to put legislative heft behind the 14th Amendment. Jackson's originalist turn flips a common approach of the conservative jurist who have long justified their decision with such arguments against them. It also pokes at the bad history used by some justices in landmark cases this year, like Justice Alito's inaccurate recounting of the abortion law in overturning Roe v. Wade or Justice Clarence Thomas's gun rights decision in New York. See, they don't even know what they're talking about. They either don't understand what the Constitution says or don't know what the Constitution says or purposely trying to pervert and twist what the Constitution says. You see where the problem is there. It further highlights the history is still at play for laws before the court today. The same Alabama community that was denied equal rights in 1865 and marched for voting rights in 1965 is yet again being denied equal representation now. 
Now we know why Ketanji Brown was brought in. A transformation of the Voting Rights Act into a race-neutral law, as Alabama is seeking, would roll back the community's progress toward equality. Such a policy could even lead to the biggest decline in black and Latino representation in generations, according to Harvard Law School professor Nicholas Stephanopoulos. So what's going to happen with that? This is just one of many cases coming to the Supreme Court that could have horrible ramifications on this country. If all these Supreme Court members were truly bipartisan, if they were truly looking to work by rule of law, the decision would be easy to make. But we know they're not like that. So what they do with the Voting Rights Act bill and the affirmative action Who really fucking knows? And that's a scary thing right now. Like I said, this is going to send us back to the 40s or 50s if they they decide to overturn the affirmative action and the voting rights bill. Katanji Brown can do all she wants, but she's still just part of the 6-3 minority. She is probably the smartest one in the room. But unfortunately, she has no more power than one vote, and they are three votes short. So we will see what happens. We'll keep our fingers crossed that there's some decency amongst these members of the Supreme Court, which we have yet to see. But hopefully, they will maybe feel the pressure of what people perceive them as, and maybe they will back off a little bit. Now, of course, I thought that to be the case when it came to overturning Roe v. Wade, and they disappointed me sorely because they did exactly what I didn't think they'd have the courage to do. But they did it, and they probably fucked themselves because they fucked the midterms. And then after the midterms are over, this is why we absolutely need to stack the Supreme Court. We need to go from nine justices to 14, have Joe Biden put in, um, or 13, I'm sorry, 13 justices and have Joe Biden put in four more. Let's even this shit out. And it's not so much about partisanism. It's about decency and indecency. It has nothing to do with parties. It's about who we are as a people in this country. And I'll be honest with you. If this country is what the Republican Party represents, it's not a country I recognize or I even want to be in. Let's talk about Elon Musk, that piece of shit. I know people like Elon Musk. I don't like him. I don't think he's who he tries to portray himself to be. I don't think he's a good guy. I think he's a narcissist, too, and I think he's all about enriching himself. And as much as he tries to look like a good guy and helping the country, I think that's bullshit. Well, Elon's been put in a bad situation. You remember way back when he decided, I'm going to buy Twitter and freaked everybody out. And then as time went by, he tried to back out. They weren't giving him enough information. And the fact of the matter is, I don't know that Elon ever really wanted to buy it. I think he wanted to get in there, raise the stock prices, and then get the fuck out after he makes a lot of money. He's done it before in crypto and other situations, so why wouldn't he do it here? 
The only problem Elon had was, well, as much as Twitter did not want to be sold to Elon Musk, after they got into it, they said, fuck no, you're buying it. You said you were going to buy it. Now you're going to buy it. And Elon said, no, I'm not going to buy it. I don't have to do that. I'm rich. I'm famous. I don't have to do fucking anything. Well, yesterday, Elon Musk agreed to pay $44 billion to buy Twitter if a lawsuit brought by the company in an attempt to force him to follow through with the deal is closed. Stop suing me, and I'll just buy the shit. And that's according to a filing with the Securities and Exchange Commission, SEC, uploaded Tuesday. So Elon Musk is giving in. Attorneys representing Musk sent a letter to Twitter Monday stating that they intend to proceed with the closing of the deal the parties agreed to in April, provided that the count the court enters an immediate stay in the case. The offer on Tuesday to follow through on the deal Musk reached with the company comes roughly two weeks before the Tesla CEO was set to face Twitter in a trial over the deal. So Twitter said, fuck you, we're suing you. And Elon Musk didn't like that idea. So he said, all right, I'll fucking buy it. I'll give you the $44 billion. I mean, he can't afford it. Why the fuck not? You wanted it in the first place. They called your bluff, and now you're fucking stuck. News of Musk's intent to move forward with the deal at the original offer of $54.20 per share was first reported by Bloomberg News after the report uh, trading of Twitter shares halted. A Twitter spokesperson said the company intends to close the deal with Musk, We received the letter from Musk parties, which they have filed with the SEC. The intention of the company is to close the transaction, $54.20 per share, the spokesman said in a statement. Now, they reached out to uh, an attorney of Musk for comment. Musk was trying to back out of the deal, as I mentioned, over allegations that Twitter was breaching its side by not providing him with information about the number of spam bot accounts on the platform. He tried to boost his case based on allegations raised by Twitter whistleblower that in part cast doubt over how the company counts accounts online. Now, see, the thing is, you would think if Elon Musk, this big, powerful guy, this high-tech guy, wants to pay $44 billion, that may be something you want to check before you make the offer. But he didn't. It sounded like just a convenient way to back out. Now, Twitter denied Musk's allegations and was suing to try to hold the billionaire accountable to follow through with the deal to buy the company. Reports that Musk intends to go through with his plan to buy the social media company triggered backlash from advocacy groups arguing that it will open the platform up to even more hate speech and misinformation online. Well, go ahead. You'll lose followers, and then it'll be worth shit, and Elon Musk will get exactly what he deserves. Musk has said he wants to embrace a free speech approach, meaning he would lean less heavily on content moderation measures. He also signaled that Twitter should let former President Trump back on the platform, which would reverse the permanent ban it instated on Trump's account after the January 6th riot at the Capitol. 
Angelo Carasun, president of Watchdog Group Media Matters, said that under Musk's Twitter will become a supercharged engine of radicalization if he follows through with even a fraction of what he has promised. In effect, Musk will turn Twitter into a fever swamp of dangerous conspiracy theories, partisan chicanery, and operationalized harassment. Bridget Todd, communications director of the Women's Advocacy Group Ultraviolet, said threats of violence against women of color will skyrocket. Get ready. Elon Musk is about to rip open Pandora's box and flood the Internet once again with hate, misogyny, racism, and conspiracy theories, Todd said in a statement. Well, you already got that over at True Social, and how is that working out? Well, True Social's about to fail. True Social's about to board up the windows and go away. They can't get any money, and uh, nobody's do- going ahead with the merger that they planned. They're fucked. They're done. Now, if Elon Musk gets this and True Social goes to shit and he lets Donald Trump back in, I'm not worried about that. You know, because social media is a very fickle thing. One minute, it's a very popular place, and then if people don't like it and people don't feel comfortable with it, they just won't go there anymore. There's plenty of options. I have a Twitter account. I don't even really post things on there anymore, or ever. I never did. It's just never something that interests me. I didn't get Twitter, and I didn't feel like it was valuable to me. So I went on TikTok, and that worked for me for what I was trying to do. I have a Facebook page, Eh, you know. I I can deal with Facebook to a certain extent. But Twitter, I never really cared about. Never really cared about it. So it'll be interesting to see if Elon Musk goes to Twitter and absolutely ruins it. But I'm guessing all of you that listen to this podcast, if you're on Twitter, I know Ed's on Twitter. If it turns into a cesspool, I'm guessing you won't go there anymore. And that will open the door for another option other than Twitter. And somebody who knows what they're doing will start up another platform if need be. Or people will move to TikTok or some of these other platforms. I don't think Elon Musk wanted to buy Twitter. Now that he's forced into it, he's lost all kind of money on the uh, his Tesla cars. He's not in a good position right now. He's just losing money. And he was a guy that looked like he printed money. This taking over of Twitter, if he does what he says he's going to do, is not going to bode well for Elon Musk and the future of his wealth. Now, he's got billions and billions and hundreds of billions of dollars, so I doubt he's going to be uh, in the bread line anytime soon. But he's got a big ego, too. And if his baby Twitter takes a shit, it's going to be tough on him. Oh, it's going to be very tough on him. All right, we are going to wrap up the Rational Boomer podcast. I want to thank you for taking the time out of your day to sit and listen. I hope you have a great day. Next, you'll hear from me tomorrow in Las Vegas. And it shouldn't be much different than what you're hearing right now. So I'll see you when I get there. I hope you have a great day. And we'll talk to you again tomorrow. Just when you thought there was no hope for baby boomers, it's the Rational Boomer Podcast. Logic, common sense. 
compassion. Yeah, who knew? Now, here's Mike. Mike. 